0: Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, go visit go-obo.com. I'm your host, Captain Judd Brock, and today I got the opportunity to sit down with Alec Lucas, the owner and operator of Southern Roots Outfitters. He spends his summers in Colorado guiding for trout and his winter in Mexico guiding for striped marlin on the fly. We had an incredible conversation, and I'm fired up to get down to Mexico and do some fly fishing with him. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find a weekly Ramp Talk podcast as well as other video content that you can't find anywhere else. Well, guys, I hope you all enjoy the episode. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike strike Texas eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike strike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deepwater structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike strike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike strike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P-127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Alec, thanks for hopping on the podcast today, man. Excited to chat with you about um, your life in fishing, uh, especially, you know, some, some marlin fishing on the fly rod, which I'm excited to pick your brain about. But uh, why don't you start out by just kind of telling people, you know, how you got into fishing, where you're from, and and how it's you kind of, your you know, your life story in fishing. Yeah, man, no
1: problem. Um, so it's kind of always been in my blood, I guess. I started fishing when I was really little, um, mostly bait that kind of stuff off of a pier or spin rod fishing in a bass pond in uh, the carolinas but you know it slowly started to evolve um i got my first fly rod when i was seven years old and my dad took me to the south fulton river in tennessee um and that's kind of when it just really took off and as a little kid i was always like catching critters and was always fascinated by 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 that kind of thing um my you know my idol was steve Irwin. at for, for the most part. So mine I was well. always outdoors and fishing just kind of captivated me for the rest of my life. Um, ultimately, thank you to my parents for that. You know, my mom for sitting out on the end of that dock with me and fishing bait for redfish and my dad for taking me fly fishing up in Tennessee. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of always been there for me.
0: Man, that's super cool. Um, I love that that was your idol. That was mine as well. And, and I, I'm the same way, just – always drawn to the outdoors and I think it's cool and something that's missed a lot of days now with kids and and parents even parents like I catch myself a lot of times like I got two boys and it's easy to be all outside all day and want to sit on the couch and like you know play Legos or something with my son in the afternoon but he wants to go play outside and and I think just a parent that is being a parent that is willing and always pushing to be outdoors with your kids is, is important and can be so impactful Um, in the future, but man, that's really, really cool. So when in, in your life story, did fishing become something that you were like, had you always wanted to guide or did all of a sudden it kind of click like, Hey, this is something I can do for a living. What did that look like for you?
1: You know, it's definitely, it was never like in my, my headspace, uh, for a while when I graduated high school, I went to college at Western Carolina university. Um, and I wasn't thinking about it then, even though I was still fishing, um, I really wasn't thinking about it, but you know, I was in a double major of construction management and entrepreneurship, and ultimately, I just found myself relentlessly tired of that program. Um, I was not a bad student in any way, shape, or form. I just absolutely despised the future that I was setting out on um, with my studies. So I picked up everything um, and moved to Colorado and. Hopes of being a fly fishing guide and spending time backcountry snowboarding, and uh, when I got to Colorado, that's kind of really when it took off. Was 2015, 2016, I believe. Um, and I walked into Mentor an Anglers and met Joe Halabanic and uh, Dave Budniak, and those guys gave me a job sweeping floors and sleeping on the couch at night. Um, so awesome. that was pretty much my life at first, in as far as involving myself in the fly fishing industry.
0: Man, that's super cool. It's I love those kind of stories where, for me, it was I pulled out of school and and kind of followed a similar path and and never planned on it, but it just kind of I wouldn't say it fell in my lap. I had to work for it for sure, but um, it, you know you just keep following the open doors and pursuing what you're passionate about, and, and you'll sometimes come to a pretty cool outcome. But um, so your your main kind of base in your in your fly fishing was your your freshwater fishing so you had done that growing up when did you start guiding out in Colorado and and where what rivers and kind of stuff what where do you guide out there what is what was or if someone wanted to book a trip with you out there like how would they find you
1: I want to say that was like 2015 to um, 16 I started guiding for mentor anglers so um, I really just kept pushing Joe and those guys to let me guide um, I ended up taking the guide school with them and then uh through that I was you know, amongst what seemingly was a group of all stars, so I really had to prove myself. And every night, I was tying flies, or you know, listening to stuff, reading books, watching videos, doing everything I could to kind of envelop myself and to become as good of a guide as I could. Um, but that's around the time frame that I started guiding, and I was guiding mostly on the Eagle River okay. um, at that time, and even stuff like Gore Creek or smaller streams that would meet that um, the Colorado River sports pump house and crumbling. Um, those, that's kind of where I started guiding, but nice. pretty much every day I was doing walking wades on the Eagle up until I could afford a boat. And then I, you know, I didn't wait long till <laughs> to get a boat. It was like a year and I pretty much jumped on that. I just was hungry. Uh, very much so at that time, it was a whole new world to me and it was fast unexplored and exciting for me.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. So what is the guiding, look like there? I know when I used to guide in Montana, you know, you couldn't just set up shop and become a fishing guide. You had to work for an outfitter and then to book your own trips, you had to become an outfitter. Is it similar to that in Colorado or, or what does that system look like for you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was working for, uh, that corporate company for a long time. Um, and then I kind of realized that, you know, I wanted to try some different guide services and work with some different people and kind of spread out amongst the state. Um, so I started independently contracting under 1099 and working for a few different people. Nice. Um, but you know, like mentor anglers, it was, I was W2. So I was a shop employee. So I was working the shop and I was guiding, but then I kind of went straight away from that to 1099 and independently contracting for multiple people, which I found to be really, really fun there. You know, of course is going to be some trouble when you do that. Um, but it was the right route for me because ultimately it really pushed me to, um, to start my own company you know I kind of woke up one day and my significant other at the time was you know super inspiring in that that level and she pushed me and uh I woke up and I was like I can do this. I need to just start my own company and be my own boss um because I wanted to guide differently I didn't want to work for a corporate shop where we were necessarily just putting people in the boat taking them out of the boat for four hours you know right. my whole goal was to give that person the same level of passion and love that i have when i have a fly rod in my hand
0: for sure um
1: and i just wasn't I, I just felt like it wasn't there in some of those corporate settings so that was i think the biggest thing for me to go out and start my own thing is i just wanted to do it my way
0: definitely it it, it can become in a sense in so many of the fly fishing or just in guiding it sometimes can feel like babysitting and like reigniting that fire of like passion for adventure, passion for being on the water and sharing that with others, I think is is so important to build a successful business and to not burn out as a guide. Like when it just becomes that, that in and out, in and out, in and out, like work. I mean, it is going to feel like work some days, but yeah, yeah, you got to keep it pat. You got to be passionate about it. And you got to make it your own thing to, I feel like to last in it, or at least to last with any type of, you know, there's definitely guides out there that have done it for a long time, but you won't. You might not book them a second time because they're a little too burnt out. <laughs> but, I could name a few. I'm not could, going to. I could name a few. So <laughs> you know, great people, but they they maybe just ran one too many days on the water. But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you have
1: to be able to keep yourself engaged and inspired. You know, um, and if you can't provide that, then ultimately your job is you're you're not going to enjoy it. You know,
0: for sure. What, what, is is there any, and the answer can be no to this as well, but is there any tricks for you as a guide or things that you like to share with clients that help you continually like remind yourself of that passion? That's kind of a tricky question, I guess. Yeah.
1: Rephrase that for me real quick.
0: So as a guide and as someone who runs your own business, what do you find yourself like I'm rephrasing it now, but like the most passionate about what helps you share your passion with others and, and, and stay, Fired up about guiding?
1: You know, I guess ultimately the excitement that they get when they learn something new or they catch the fish that they've been looking for, or catch a fish for their first time. Um, you know, that excitement and that level of inspiration that I instill in someone else, that is what keeps me going as a guide. You know, I, that never, never, never gets old. Um, because it ultimately, like, Blackfish has saved me, you know, from a path that I wasn't happy with. you know, it gave me an entire purpose in life. Um, and I think that's the most important thing and seeing me be able to provide that for people through fly fishing is just incredible. Um, it's absolutely the best part. You know, the fish are an accommodation the whole day and the excitement and sharing that passion are, I think the biggest things.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Being able to share that passion and, I feel like that's, I mean, so many people will fall in love with fly fishing just in fly fishing. But if you can share the passion with the, with your clients, every single person you take is going to fall in love with it. You know, it's not just going to be a select few. If you can kind of, you know, share that fire that you have, people are going to see the, you know, they're, they're going to love it. And and there's that argument of like, oh, there's, there's so many people now because of social media hunting and fishing and, and whatnot. But, you know, in a world and a day where you know, a lot of these resources are really hurting. I don't think it can hurt to have more passionate anglers and passion, passionate hunters that are going to speak up and be a voice for conservation. That's always kind of my, my argument to that. I mean, as guys. Yeah, no, I know. I,
1: I would agree with that. I feel like most of the conservation efforts are from fly fishermen definitely. and as a whole, if you look at the industry with it growing as much as it is, it's not a bad thing. Just there's some people that aren't accepting to the change of things and they have to be. Otherwise it's not going to be progressive. They're going to, fall back and they're going to become angry with, with the industry as a whole. But I think that fly fishermen are moving in a positive direction for conservation.
0: Definitely. It's like a weird double-edged sword of, we have to expose something, you know, in, in this world, in this realm to, you know, be able to pull the help that it might need. You know, if back in the day when, you know, there was one guide floating a river, and, and and he was keeping it a secret, and no one knew about it. That's awesome. But then all of a sudden there's an issue. There's no one that's passionate about that river to step in and help and to donate and to donate time, you know what I mean? So the more people that, right. are, that are behind a resource or, 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 or are passionate about a resource, the the more we can do for it. So that's kind of just a, just a good remember. When you pull up to the boat ramp on a Saturday morning and it's packed to the gills and you're pissed off, it's a good thing to remember. Like, yeah, well, th- some of these people are going to help, you know, save this fishery one day maybe
1: (laughs) yeah no i agree and that feeling's tough um you know i've definitely had that feeling before when you roll up to the boat ramp but ultimately it's like you just got to smile and wave because everyone's doing the same thing there's no reason to exactly just like someone else because they're at the boat ramp with
0: you exactly unless they decide to unstrap their boat on the ramp that's then then (laughs) i'm just kidding that, that's the one where I do really have to bite my tongue. I'm like, did you you pass the whole tie down lane? Come on, man. But then again, yeah, it, it, I never get angry and I never I don't get mad. But that's the one that I'm like, come on, that's so silly. But but everyone's got. Oh yeah, you
1: gotta and, you gotta run up and untrap it with them, and then be like, hey, you know, kind of there's there's a line, there's a process.
0: <laughs> I, I like that. Go up and help them, but in a very nice way, so you don't get, get yeah. beat up. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle redfish and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their seven foot medium light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. So when did, so you're you're guiding saltwater now, marlin on the fly rod, which is incredible. How did you get to that? What, What was the steps that you took? And um, as far as uh, from a freshwater guide to saltwater and really to like the apex of saltwater fishing, which is just so incredible. How did you find your way to, to guiding saltwater in that way? You know,
1: I started this really, I don't know, international fly fishing just really captivated me. Um, and I was constantly, I'm one of those people that was just constantly looking towards the next thing, um, just to stay progressive. So, I started saltwater fly fishing. Um, I'd spent a long period of time on the east end of Grand Bahama growing up chasing bonefish. Okay. Um, and that was kind of my first DIY trip. And it just blew my mind when I caught my first bonefish. So from there, it just kind of excelled into this, you know, perpetual every year of me going on a trip to somewhere new. Yeah. Um, and then I found Baja and I became thoroughly obsessed with chasing roosterfish. Um, nice. I had met George Vandercook, uh, one of the owners of Loca, Loca who started it with Rudy, um, down there and at a show. And we had spoken briefly about some of the fishing where he was at. And, uh, he's like, yeah, you need to come out and fish, you know? And I have been fishing the East Cape with a couple of buddies of mine from Colorado. And we were driving down the beach looking for roosters. Um, and my rod fell out of the side by side. So, <laughs> A guy rolls up and like rather aggressively on an ATV and then jumps out and he's got my rod in his hand. And I was like, Whoa, why? Like, where'd you find that? And he's like, Oh, you dropped it out of your side by side. And I was like, no way. Uh, thank you for grabbing that, you know, and handed him a beer and then we started talking, um, pretty much became best friends from that point. His name's Jeffrey Pesco. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. But he was guiding for Los Locos at the time. And I was like, Hey, so, you know, what are you doing this week? And he's like, I'm going to go over to Mac Bay and fish with George. And I was like, no way, you know George. He's like, yeah, I work for him. And I was like, no way, let's like, let's go do this. So I just went with him and ended up in Mac Bay and we fished and probably had one of the best days of our life, Uh, actually. that That was an amazing time on the water with those boys. And shortly after I came down again in August, and was fishing with them again. And George and Rudy just had a discussion. Basically, we were like, look, well, do you want to come guide for us? We're a fairly new operation. And we're stumbling upon something pretty pretty amazing. And we want you to be a part of it. Um, and I was ecstatic. You know, I was kind of losing my mind at the opportunity. There was no question in me that was like, should you do this? Should you not do this? I was on it. Um, so, yeah, I jumped on a plane and dragged all my gear out there and went out this October and started guiding for
0: them wow that's so awesome man so from the the crossover from freshwater to saltwater just as a as an angler um you had done it growing up but what was the learning was was there a learning curve for you or had you done enough of it you know in your earlier years that it was kind of transferred pretty quickly
1: you know i think there's always a learning curve with that kind of thing um I don't think anybody's perfect at fly fishing. You just can't be. I'm definitely not. You know, I learned something new every time I'm on the water. So there was, of course, a learning curve. Um, it's a steep one for sure when you come from freshwater to saltwater and especially on big game or even just rooster fish. Um, everything's extremely fast paced. You need to be able to, you know, confidently double haul, you know, 40 to 60 feet easily and uh, wind in a moving boat and been on top of guiding that. It's just it's a, it's a very different world. It's much more violent, much more fast fast paced, and a lot more intensity. Um, yeah. Not to mention the fish are dangerous, you know. Right, um, right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big difference between that and
0: guiding on the river for yeah, sure, for sure, for sure. So I, I, one of the things I always think that would be so tough. And you you fish a rooster sometimes from the beach as well, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, from the beaches by far uh, my favorite i would say
0: and and that in my head i've never done it i I have fly casted for redfish and stuff from the beach and and whatnot but the the fast pace that it looks like like chasing roosters seeing them from a side by side jumping out double hauling while you're running making a cast into waves that are breaking and then line management like it seems like it could be one of the toughest ways to target a fish on the fly rod is is that just something i'm imagining in my head or is it something that there's a lot of pieces to like that (laughs)
1: No, absolutely. Um, it's not like you're on the bow of a boat getting pulled around and casting at a permit. You're casting at like a really charged up angry permit with a crazy fin on its back that wants to <laughs> just destroy something in its path, you know? right? And so you have to match that intensity. As soon as you see that fish, you've got to run as fast as you can to get in front of that fish if it's within fly range um, and then make a 45 degree cast at them so they can track it. You know, uh, but you are casting into waves. Sometimes the shore breaks up to like six feet right on the sand. So you have to time everything extremely well. And that comes into line management. It'll wrap around your feet, your arms, all that kind of stuff. And then as soon as that fly hits, that fish does not want to eat something still. So you've got to begin your double retrieve like in half a second once the fly hits. If it doesn't move when the fly hits the water and the fish sees it, they're not going to eat it. Um, and then on top of that, you know, once you get your double hand down and you do get them to chase, I mean, that's, that's the best thing ever. That's, that's a good day in itself. Um, you just hopefully get that eat when they get charged up, but it is
0: definitely very, very much intense,
1: um, and very challenging. It's taken me a long time to understand it.
0: So people talk about, you know, the toughest fish in fly fishing and permits often brought up. Landing tarpon is something that, that is brought up. Where would you rank rooster fish in that? Cause I could see just from hearing, talking to people about it, that it could be maybe like rooster fish from the beach. Like that could be one of the toughest fish to, to maybe conquer on fly. Like a big rooster yeah. on, 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 on fly maybe.
1: Yeah. I think I, I would definitely put it out there with those, any of those. Um, just because of the intensity of the approach. You yeah. know, you can find the fish, but can you execute is
0: For the sure. ultimate question. For sure. Um, they're pretty likely to eat. With, if, if everything no. plays out right, they're pretty likely to eat, or you'll get a lot of refusals with perfect.
1: <laughs> no, I would say the smaller ones are, but the bigger ones, it, it's like a permit, but it's moving incredibly fast, you know, wow. and it's looking at the same time that it's charging your fly out of the water with its comb up and the hair on your neck standing up. It's looking at your fly from every angle, up, down, left, right, underneath if it doesn't like it, boom, it's gone. Golly. And it, it happens in like half a second, you know? <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm they're coming incredibly down intelligent. there. They're incredibly intelligent. Me and Jeff often say they kind of, roosterfish do whatever they want, when they want, how they want. And
0: yeah. they can break a man. Yeah. They're, they're going to break my wallet, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> I'm going <gonna laughs> ha-
0: to have to start coming down there and fishing. But uh, so from rooster fish to, 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 uh, fly fishing for Marlin. So t- take me through what that looks like. You know, a day of you hop on the boat, you go out, like what does that look like to go fly fish for Marlin in Mexico?
1: Um, so the Marlin program is pretty, uh, it's it's really graphic. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that there's a lot of other places in the world that you could find what we uh, we have at, in Mag Bay with Los Locos. Um, we essentially get our clients on the boat. We run 27-foot pangas. Um, that are outfitted for two anglers, a captain, and a guide. Uh, we will run out of the bay and then roughly 30 to 45 miles if they're super far offshore, um, depending upon where they are. And then when we get to that zone, it's, it is immediately game on for the next eight hours. Um, it's pretty much as fast-paced and as cowboy of fly fishing as you can get. You're pretty much right in the bull up there uh, trying to cast at these things while I'm trying to instruct you. Um, and we use the birds to kind of find these fish because the frigates don't land on the water um, but they rely on the marlin to push those bait balls to the surface so when you see frigate birds very close to the water you know that there's fish right there Um, so most of the day we're chasing birds Um, hopefully we find a static without any birds that's like the most ideal thing ever um, that you could just sit on that bait ball and cast but Usually, you know, we bounce from bait ball to bait ball. And within that, there's probably six to seven, hopefully 15 marlin eating on the surface. But there's double that underneath. Wow. Um, and they'll kind of alternate on the bait ball. So you can imagine the chaos when you, when you roll up um, and you see all those fish just destroying those, those mackerel or sardines. It's pretty intense. And I think that's the hardest part for the client at first is to just stay calm. Um, because it's so graphic and we're so close to it. You know, we don't use teasers or troll for them at all. We, we roll up and you cast straight to these fish. And oftentimes I would say 50% of my eats are right next to the boat. Um,
0: That's incredible.
1: so it's intense. And then, you know, once you hook a Marlin, it's not like hooking a permit or hooking a trout or something like that. It's like you just hooked a car. And it's really mad at you. And it's going to go one direction incredibly fast. So clearing your line is probably the scariest part. Um, It burns. But once that's over with, you're pretty much good as long as you're on the reel. Yeah. Um, And the drag is cranked down. Uh, But, yeah, it's the whole time. It's it's very intense. You know, we break a lot of fish off um, just from their sheer force. They'll accelerate almost at 60 miles an hour through the bait ball. And we'll break rods, break fly lines. I mean, some of the gear that we're trying to use out there is not necessarily meant for what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, Rudy and George
0: really did a great job at
1: finding something that is just substantial in this industry. Um, It's a new frontier for sure.
0: That's awesome. So what is is an average day? Not a great day, but just an average day. You get out there, conditions might be a little tough. You know, your standard, like whenever someone books a trip, like they're probably not going to get it perfect. What is it? What what can you kind of expect on a trip down there?
1: I would say if you're on that boat and the fish are there, you're going to hook one. Um, you know, you might not land it, but typically anywhere from like one to six marlin are landed a day in each boat okay. that goes out. Um, so, you know, we vary. I don't. I don't, I really can't recall too many days when we came in and we we're like, man, we didn't catch anything. Yeah. Pretty much like we get on them and we're feeding these fish, you know,
0: is it pretty standard to find the fish out there? Like you're, you get, if you can get out there, you're, you're going to be on the fish and it's pretty consistent action.
1: You know, for the most part, um, but due to, you know, the moon cycles and tides and water temperatures where the bait is, things shift. The fish disappear and they show sure. up more north or they show up more south. Um, so there's definitely been tough days where you're running around, but, typically we'll go out there and if they're in that one spot, they're pretty much going to be in that spot for a good, good period of time. Yeah. Um, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What is, uh, what, what kind of gear are you throwing? What weight rods, what kind of flies, you know, what, what does it look like? And are, are, are people bringing gear a lot to fish with you or do you all kind of like, Hey, let us provide it. We know exactly what we need.
1: You know, we have a lot of rods, um, I think there's one standing and all of them were broken this season.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: That's um, awesome. So obviously we prefer if you guys, if people brought their own gear. For sure. Uh, but mostly what we're using is 12 to 14 weights okay. for the uh, the marlin, some 10 weights for the rooster fish and other species. But the 12 and 14, I find to be the best. 14, if you can really cast it well, uh, just because it helps you pull on those fish a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, but then we're pretty much using, uh, I believe we used a lot of real line fly lines these years and Airflow airflow, but uh, a lot of them broke. Um, you know, a lot of the fly lines that are made don't have hundred pound cores, so you're fishing a fifty pound core fly line, and we need an eighty p pe- an eighty pound piece of 4L so that they can't rub through it with their mouth. Um, and so we end up snapping fly lines. Um, and breaking a lot of fish off just through their bill rubbing yeah. through that tippet. Um, and then when we get them close to the boat, you know, leadering them, that can be difficult. That can cause rod breakages if people don't understand to kind of give us some slack as we try to grab the leader. Cause that fish can make that second decision to go straight underneath the boat. Yeah.
0: Just snap um, on the gunnel.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. And if you're not prepared for that and you haven't seen that before, it happens incredibly fast, you know?
0: Oh yeah. Um, because you have it so locked eyes. down, that drag so locked down to get him there, and then it's, you got to back it off. I mean, that's any larger fish near the boat, I feel like. As soon as you go to grab it, you got to back that drag off.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the drag systems that we're using, I find the cork to be the best. You know, like Abel and a few other brands have have really held up against these fish. Um, anything with bearings or it's a little bit cheaper, cheaply made is definitely going to blow up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, usually on that first run. Aluminum spools will... Kind of bend, things will heat up, bearings will bust, will lock up, um, but we've had some of those issues God, before. You, my, you, still, I'm but.
0: so excited to come down there fish with you. I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> anything, should, anything about your, I mean, bearings blowing up because your fish takes off too fast is, I mean, I'm there. That sounds incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's quite the spectacle to witness. It's, it's unforgettable, and it's something that really never gets old, no matter how many times you do it.
0: Now, are these striped marlin? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So what is the size range in a striped moron? Like a, from, you know, the littler ones you're seeing to the biggest ones you'll see.
1: You know, I'd say the smallest that I probably found this season was one fish that was probably around 60 pounds. Okay. But your average is a hundred to 120 big being closer to 200. Um, but that's typically where our fish are at in that like 100 to 150 Pound range such an
0: incredible size because yeah they're gonna they could they're gonna whoop your ass but it's not like a 800 pound fish that's gonna be the, like you hook one and it's the entire day's gone
1: <laughs> yeah no and you know we, we've really been working on ways to fight these fish properly um and through the help of others we've kind of discovered that you know if you cut the engine off and you reverse and back off of the fish a little bit and get your line angle at a 45 degree rather than 90 um it doesn't allow them to sound necessarily and kind of pulls their head up as well as the uses of a sinking line in that. Okay. So we try to get them to the surface. And if you just keep walking the dog, you know, reeling forwards, keeping the rod below your waist and pull, pulling as you go back, you more of not really get the fish tired, but break their will. And we land a lot of fish in around eight to, you know, 18 minutes,
0: something like that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, so pull, we can land them quick. Pulling on a big fish in deep water like that, I heard you mentioning. so if the pressure is coming from below them, like you were talking about a sinking line or keeping your rod low, that's going to make that fish want to swim towards the surface, correct? And vice versa.
1: Yeah, you know, and if we can turn their head and get their head up, you'll start feeling those head shakes rather than it sounding and getting on its side and just resting the whole time. Yeah, um, because as soon as it gets underneath the boat and you start circling it, they're just getting they're, they're just getting more and more rest so they can make another run.
0: Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 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 That's super cool. Uh, what's the longest you've seen someone hooked up to one out there? Um, we I had a guy,
1: and we probably fought that fish I think for two hours, two hours and fifteen minutes, something wow. like that. And halfway through the fight, the fish made another run and started jumping out of the water as if it just got hooked. Um, Golly, yeah, that fish ended up jumping in the boat and almost hitting me. Um, mm. Right when I leadered it, it was actually a pretty terrifying moment, but you know, that's why we have to be careful with these things because they are dangerous and they move erratically. Um, So I went to leader the fish and the fish actually ended up jumping in the boat when I went to grab the bill. Um, But no one was hurt. Everything was fine. It landed on the right side of the boat. We just all got to the left side of the boat and the captain got that fish back out safely.
0: Awesome. It almost sounds like he needs uh, like a motocross chest protector when leadering a marlin on a on a panga. (laughs) Just uh, yeah, it's uh,
1: it it can be a hairy situation, especially if it's a green fish. You know, most of them come in and we can grab them, and they're gonna throw us around a little bit. But some of them come in real, real hot if you land them quick, and uh, they're not they're not happy to be grabbed by the face.
0: Wow, golly, that is that's so cool. So. Take me through one more time, you know, the, the approach, the cast, the retrieve. Like, is it, is it a lot like the roosters where you're two-hands stripping really fast? Or are you trying to kind of keep the bait near the bait ball, stripping it slow? What does that look like? You
1: know, I typically, the way I guide, I like to go up to the bait ball. Um, once the capping gets you in position, I really emphasize as soon as we cut the motor and go into neutral, that's when you want to make your cast. You don't want to try and make your cast while the boat is still moving towards the bait ball. Um, and you definitely don't want to cast in front of the boat because as soon as you land, all that fly line's going under the boat and you have to pick it up really fast to play catch up. Right. So I like to cut the, the motor off to neutral, um, keep that person calm and collected and just kind of show them where the bait ball is visually. Because if you hit the bait ball nine times out of 10, a Marlin's going to eat it. Um, so, you know, when we roll up, I try to help them locate the bait ball visually. Then if they can make the shot, I want them to lead whatever direction that bait ball is going. And then, boom, as soon as it hits the water and it's in the bait ball, start your double hand retreat. Um And you want to be moving at a consistent pace. And a lot of people, if they don't see a fish chasing, they'll just be instinctually, they'll just pick it right back up and want to pass again. But I emphasize once you get about nine feet off the boat, stop don't you know if you see no fish chasing just stop the fly dead and let it sit and just watch it because like i said there might be six or seven marlin on the ball but there's double that underneath so one of those fish that's underneath they're gonna see that fly and they're gonna think it's one of the mackerel that they hit with their bill and they will come up and eat it right next to the boat no problem like i've I've had so many people hook it right next to the boat when it's not even moving and it's almost like a brown trout coming up to eat a dry fly you know it's on a much larger more violent scale that's awesome um, and it's pretty incredible and then you know once they eat you get the set you know you just want to keep stripping and just stay as tight as to it, it as you can if you can start jamming the fly line or the you know pulling back just to set the hook even more do it um i think a lot of people are caught off guard at how hard the hook set has to be but their mouths are so tough um that you really need to keep that consistent pressure keep the rod tip pointed at them and then i will help you clear the fly line um, the fish is usually going to go vertical and start splashing with its bill, and then it's going to go straight to jumping and running as fast as it can.
0: Heck yeah. Now, if someone comes with you, like say someone and their wife come together, the wife doesn't fly fish, is, is it pretty easy to turn around and do with a spinning rod as well? If you want to pitch an artificial and they're on a spin rod?
1: Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we'll, you know, we we'll use recalls and assist hooks for people that don't really want to catch it or just want to try. Um, and it's very, very much doable. That's um, awesome. even if they've never passed a fly rod, I've gotten a few people this year on a marlin on fly and they've never cast a fly rod before. <laughs> um,
0: that's incredible.
1: That's yeah.
0: so cool, man. That is, yep. uh, I'm going to be honest with you. This, I don't think I've ever recorded a podcast that someone explained the fishing so well, like you just did that I mean, I've never gotten this excited about, about a listening about <laughs> it to a fishery, which is, it's just super cool, man. And, and like we talked about at the beginning, like being able to share your passion and talk about it and. And, and share that with others is so important. And I feel like a duty at, uh, to our job as a guide to kind of keep this, you know, this thing alive. So I do appreciate that. And, and where, uh, what is it, if someone were to want to book a trip, like what do you have lodging? What does that kind of look like?
1: Um, So, you know, we're, it's kind of ever evolving. Uh, I believe next year we're going to have one more boat built. So we're going to have a little bit larger capacity for guests. Um, we are partnered up with over at Mari Arena in San Carlos is where we're based out of. Okay. And that's where most of our guests say it's very nice accommodations. Um, meals and lodging are all provided within our price. Um, but it is getting to the point where it's very, you know, it's challenging to get a spot because we are getting so many inquiries for it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, the sooner you can get a date, the, you know, the better it is off to get you out there. Yeah. Yeah, so even a year in advance is a good time to look at booking for Los Locos because it's very much becoming a sought after destination.
0: How many people can y'all accommodate um, at a, on a given day? Like, if someone wanted to book a trip and, and had a big crew, how many people could y'all accommodate?
1: You know, that's it, typically it's like uh, one group of like eight, ten people. Okay. Um, so but we've accommodated more, like when we had Coastal week, we went out to a couple other boat captains in the town and, uh, had some help with that. And we were able to get, you know, close to 15, 14 people on the water, sometimes okay. putting three people in a boat, okay. um, which we will have a price point for that next season. Um, but yeah, you know, and I think that we have such a good standing with the community because we're providing them with jobs and money and, you know, we have everyone in the town making lunches. It's, it's very much a team and communal effort. Um, so if we need a boat or anything like that we have a lot of people in town that are very much eager and happy to help
0: that's cool that's super cool well um tell people how if they want to get up with you they can get up with you to book a trip uh, or to, to help you know kind of coordinate a trip to mexico or even fish out with, with you in colorado what's the best way to to get up with you
1: yeah most definitely um i think the best way to contact me is probably social media uh day is going to be my instagram handle um you can also email me at my company email. It's Southern Roots as an Outsitter um, at gmail.com. I have a website at www.southernrootsotf.com.
0: Awesome, and um, you guys, I'll link all that. Posts. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I will link no, all of didn't. that uh, in the show notes as well, so y'all can get up with with Alec that way. Um, and, and man, I'm gonna try to. I want to try to get a group together and come down there and fish with y'all. So i'm gonna um we'll, that, we'll discuss that after the podcast but man thank you so much for jumping on with us and maybe uh i think it'd be cool when you get back down there next time to maybe do a podcast while you're down there talk about one of your days on the water and maybe we can do it together maybe I'll, I'll be down there with you but um as as always guys thanks for checking out this podcast and alec thank you for for hopping on and doing it with us and uh, we'll see you sure. uh, on the next one if you're anything like me you like a clean boat That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their Hole Cleaner That Doesn't Harm Your Trailer and their BioBait Cooler Cleaner. Their BioBait Cleaner is specifically designed for live wells, fish boxes, and coolers. I love that I can quickly clean my live well with the BioBait Cleaner and then load it back up with live baits without worrying about them dying from harmful chemicals. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.